Good morning, my dear brothers and sisters. Our Heavenly Father has made and given us another day. We have in this past night had somewhere to lay our head. Hopefully we are sufficiently rested for the challenge of yet another day. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, said, God did not appoint us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So with that in mind, I would like to build some of my thoughts today around this word sleep, which we find in the scriptures. Sleep is used in a number of ways. Its most natural use is God-given provision of physical rest. Most cases of physical sleep we find is natural, but some are imposed to accomplish divine purposes. In Genesis, we remember, God chose that method to provide a wife for Adam by causing a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And then we have that very young Samuel awakened out of sleep to be instructed by God. Samson, Delilah lulled him into sleep on her knees in God's purpose against the Philistines. Sleep is used figuratively referring to idle and slothful in God's sight. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 9. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Proverbs chapter 20. Do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. But on the other hand, from Ecclesiastes, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And then, what about the disciples who were with Jesus in the hour of his need in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus' command was, sit here while I go yonder and pray. For an hour, Jesus was on the ground before his Father. And it is Luke who writes, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. It may be taken as certain that the disciples had every tension of watching, as he bade them, but within an hour they were asleep. The reproach was specifically aimed at Peter. Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Well, we are all here today, aren't we, brethren and sisters? And will we be able to concentrate for the whole meeting while we are here? We know our thoughts can easily wander in a solemn service like this. Back to the disciples. Their repeated failures explained 
by their eyes, they were heavy, and did not know what to answer him. No, even Peter, it seems at this time, was lost for words. Amidst all this, there is added the needful exhortation. This is from Mark 14. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. No follower of Jesus was ever more conscious of the tension of human nature than Paul. Of the many examples from his letters, we have his words in Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not the things that you wish. Yes, indeed. Even in the most faithful of God's servants, the same tug of war between flesh and spirit, between self and the will of God, is always there. Peter with the others was unable to keep awake. Not long after this, Peter was ready to go to prison, even to death with his Lord. Only soon after that, he even, we know, denied that he knew him. But would we have done any better in the same circumstances? Jesus looked at Peter more in sorrow, I suspect, than anything. He no doubt looks at us in the very same way many times in our probation. We have to constantly remember Jesus is the only source of salvation and also that constant reminder to keep watching and prepared for the day we all long for. As we know, it is a certain day, only known to our Father, but is it a day which will come? Once more, the reading for today falls on Matthew 25, with that urgent message for us today to be prepared. These parables of warning are not for those who rejected God's mercy. They are for us who know and understand God's will and that Jesus has invited us to become his bride. I expect, brothers and sisters, we all know these parables off by heart. But of course, that won't count for anything when the bridegroom suddenly appears and we are not ready. The primary significance of the parables in Matthew 25 are to be found in some words we read, we read yesterday. Who then is a faithful and wise steward? Which formed the logic conclusion to the Olivet prophecy. Its main purpose being to impart both admonition and exhortation to those involved in the events described there by Jesus. Imparting knowledge to those expecting his return. With this particular aim, Jesus began in Matthew 25, verse 1. Then, at that time, the kingdom shall be likened to ten virgins, 
which took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Well, we notice they all had lamps, so all of them set out with good intentions, but clearly some were better prepared than others. The companions in the parable had all been chosen and invited and were awaiting the pleasure of the bridegroom. As for us today, Jesus has invited us to become his bride and our way needs to be sufficiently lit as we progress along that narrow way to that forward to that guest chamber. Light is truth in two aspects revealed in the scriptures. Paul speaks of light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And we who have become light bearers have to be true to that knowledge. As for the truth, it's also something done as well as something believed. It is thought that some of these virgin lamps would have been very small and only capable of holding very little oil and therefore in constant need of replenishment and attention to the wick, the means by which the oil was transformed into that necessary light. With our knowledge and experience of the gospel, we have to reveal that light of God's truth in our lives. Our lives, like the wick of that lamp, have to convert, as it were, the spirit word of God into something visible. This process, of course, as we all know, is easier said than done. Matthew 25, verse 5, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. With so many unmistakable signs of the Lord Jesus' return, Paul exhorts us in Romans 13, Knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. We of all people know the day of Christ is coming. Each day brings it nearer. As we look at the world around us, I think we would say it's night. Paul says in Thessalonians 5, those who sleep, sleep at night. And he writes in the previous verse, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. In this first, in the first Thessalonians 5, Paul speaks of light and of darkness and of the armour to put on. As for this figure of putting on, Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Returning again to Matthew 25. 
the images found here by Jesus of the wise and foolish and oil is based on the Old Testament. Proverbs 21 verse 20 There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends it up. Those words help us to understand the meaning of the oil. That oil which is now available to give light can be spent or swallowed up. Jesus is not only saying that the foolish failed to provide enough oil, but that they had, that it had been wastefully used. Perhaps the foolish lit their lamps too soon. Oil is that which gives the light, of course. And for us, there is only one source of light, the living word of God, with which we can daily replenish our vessels. We know from Psalm 119, God's word is a lamp to our feet. And also in that psalm, your word have I hidden in my heart. Well, does this describe us, brethren and sisters? Well, let's hope it won't happen, but just suppose while we are waiting for Christ's return, our Bibles are stolen from us or taken away. Would you, would I, have enough of God's Word hidden in our hearts? Would our vessels run dry before Jesus returns? The parable is not aimed at the world, it's aimed at us as followers of Jesus. All the virgins were called, but not until the final hour was the difference between the wise and the foolish made apparent. But as important as keeping awake and watching is, it must be balanced, of course, with working. Thus, we have this aspect in the following parable with the use of the talents. These talents were not handed out any old how. They were given exclusively to the master's servants and to each one according to their own ability. The principle of distribution is described in verse 15 of Matthew 25. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his own ability. Therefore, we have to do the best with what we have while we can. Our Lord did not expect, does not expect something of us which we possibly cannot do. But we are, says Paul, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. When our Lord returns, there will be required from us an account of our stewardship. In the parable, he with the five talents came and brought in five other talents, and he with the two gained two other talents. So what are these talents? 
The early followers of Jesus worked according to the instructions of their Lord, teaching and preaching in his name. Many, if not all of those followers of Jesus, would not have done anything like that before. But of course they did have the Holy Spirit to help them. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marvelled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That did not mean that they were all public speakers, of course. Let's not make the mistake of supposing that there are orders of importance in our service. As Paul wrote to the Romans, we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another, having then gifts differing according to grace that is given us, let us use them. And so we reflect upon the man who was given this one talent, but did nothing, did nothing at all, apart from hiding it in the ground. And who, like those foolish virgins, was rejected? In that he was given less, he wasn't expected to gain as much, of course, as the others. Indeed, it would appear from Matthew 25, verse 24, that the master would have been satisfied had he not had he just done just a little with that one talent. You ought to have disposed my money with the bankers. Sorry, deposited the money my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back mine own with interest, which would not, of course, involve much effort at all. But, did he deserve to be called you wicked servant because of what he had done? Because he had done nothing with the one talent? No, I think his wickedness lay in the expression of his master's character, which he saw. He saw in Jesus a hard man, reaping where he had not sown, gathering that which he had no right to, he said. Christ, a hard man. No wonder even the one talent was taken from him. I don't think Christ could ever be accused of being hard. He says to us, my yoke is easy. We would surely say, as we gather before these emblems of his love, he did the hard part. We have to simply come and remember this morning. We have, in comparison, been commanded to do very little. But, brethren and sisters, frequently it's in the Scriptures that teaches us that it is the small things that really matter, which we all can do, rather than the one great heroic deed. There are many among us that we see who are excellent in doing small things that Jesus talks about 
at the end of Matthew 25. I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty and you gave me drink, sick and you visited me and so on. Those who do such things won't have the honour of doing them personally too our Lord at the moment, because he is in heaven. But they won't go unrecognized. Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Paul's counsel applies equally to all. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season... You will reap if you do not lose heart. Later in his message to the seven churches, the Lord Jesus, who spoke these parables, exhorted his servants, Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. And he said, I know thy works, thy service and thy faith. So, as the spiritual darkness around us increases day by day, we must see that our lamps are burning ever brightly. We have many good reasons for doing so. Before we take the emblems, let's just turn to some of those encouraging words of Isaiah. And we'll look at Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. His opening words speak of the days of our Lord's ministry, of the wonderful work he did among men, preaching the gospel, healing the brokenhearted. But Isaiah also speaks of the day of judgment and of the day of gladness, of beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He speaks of a time when Israel will be restored, when God will make an everlasting covenant with them, when they shall be, as we read at the end of verse 9, the seed which the Lord have blessed. And then in verse 10 we have the prophet's personal hope, which he saw afar off. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And the bridegroom decks herself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so, in returning to the bride, making herself ready to meet the bridegroom, here then is our hope, prospectively, that we shall be among those suitably attired, not just to go to the wedding, but to continue on through the millennium days in the strength of immortality with the faithful of all ages. The last verse of Isaiah chapter 61. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as a garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, 
So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. So, brethren and sisters, that glorious prospect has been made possible only through the one we now remember again, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. <laughs>